Welcome to the DadWork Podcast. My name is Kurt Storing, your host and the founder of DadWork. Today is episode number 50, High Performance Breathwork for Physical and Emotional Excellence with Johnny Oduya. Guys, this is really an episode that I wanted to do just for myself. And I really, really hope that it would turn out to be something amazing. And thank goodness it is, because really all I wanted to do is talk to Johnny because I'm a huge hockey fan. And uh, I realize he's been doing breathwork. So hockey breath work like these are these make up so much of my own personality that like obviously he and I would get along I thought so it was just a joy to be able to chat with him and thankfully for you and for me and everyone involved it actually ended up being an awesome episode so we go deep talking about playing hockey in Thailand which is totally crazy and one of the things that Johnny and I have in common allowing our kids to face challenges so that it pushes them to work harder, teaching our kids to strive for victory while at the same time preparing them for the inevitability of defeat, how to thrive in high performance environments, why you should want to be the worst player on a good team, not the best player on a bad team, the balance between using ego for motivation and getting lost in it, emotional regulation, and breathwork, meditation, and mindfulness practices for performance. As a former professional athlete who played at the highest level, Johnny has explored and tested numerous mindful techniques to gain a competitive advantage. Ten years in the NHL resulted in two Stanley Cups, both times with the Chicago Blackhawks. After his retirement, he focused on his passion for philosophy and mindful practices. Curious and investigative at heart, he stumbled upon breathwork and immediately realized its enormous potential for transforming and elevating the human experience. There's a few places you can find Johnny online. The first is Hale, which is his center and community for breathwork. You can find that hale.center, that's H-A-L-E dot C-E-N-T-E-R. You can find his Atunia brand, utility performance gear for athletes at atunia.com, A-T-U-N-Y-A.com. You can find him on Instagram. His personal account is Johnny Oduya. That's J-O-H-N-N-Y-O-D-U-Y-A. You can also find the Hale Center and Atunia on Instagram. Hale.center and Atunia Performance are the Instagram handles. All of these links will be in the show notes at dad.work slash podcast. You can find everything there. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Like I said, it was really done for my own benefit because I just love talking to NHL players and athletes and uh, hearing what makes them tick and what lessons we can learn from them operating at this high level. And of course, the crazy, bizarre uh, fact that both of us played hockey in Thailand is something that not many people share. And I wanted to go deeper on why the hell he did that in the first place, which uh, we talk about at the beginning of this episode. So with all that being said, I hope you learned something particularly as it relates to emotional regulation and breath work and mindful practices for performance specifically, which uh, Johnny dives into quite significantly in this episode. So enjoy episode number 50 with Johnny Oduya. Here we go. I'm here with Johnny Oduya, and I am super pumped to talk to you, man, because like I said before, huge hockey fan, I'm a breath worker myself. And the thing that we share in common, which probably like fewer than a hundred people share that I find that I've ever talked to is that we both played ice hockey in Thailand. And this is one of the most shocking things when people hear that there's even ice hockey in Thailand. And so my first question is, why the hell did you do that? And what was happened? It, what was it fun? Yeah. Okay, then I'm going to throw the question back to you. Why did you do that? How did well, you find I thought, it? 
I thought it was my best shot to make the NHL at age 30. So I just, uh, I need to start somewhere. (laughs) I, uh, I, I moved to uh, Thailand with my parent and with my wife and kids for two years. And I hadn't played hockey for probably 10 years at that point. I started playing ball hockey with Canadians, Finns, Americans, some Thai guys. And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, we play hockey at the ice at this mall. So I shipped all my gear over and started playing ice hockey, playing a tournament there. It was amazing. What, what, what year was that? Uh, this would have been 2017, I think, 2018. Yeah. yeah. 16 through 18, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I was there in 2012, I think. It was a lockout year. So I went there. Um, it was one of my friends. I, I, had, I had no team, obviously, at the time. And uh, just sitting at home and starting to get, you know, November-ish uh, in, in Sweden. It's pretty dark. And I was working out and training and everything was on the ice with a couple of teams here. And then I was just like, I need to do something. And then... I was waiting until kind of November, and then I heard that well, maybe not. It's not going to be anything. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go somewhere else. And uh, I love uh, Thailand. Been there a lot before. I uh, love the culture, the food, the tradition, Buddhism, of course. And uh, I'm like, oh, let's see if they got hockey. So I looked it up and found that they actually have hockey and have hockey for quite a long time. So there's a lot of expats have been playing there for a long time, and uh, I just wrote them. There's two Swedish guys, and I wrote them. And uh, I think, no, actually, I wrote one of the other guys there. Uh, what is this, Scott Murray, maybe, that I wrote, whatever. But uh, he's uh, he's the, the legend and the, the godfather of hockey there and uh, been doing a lot of work for a long time. So I wrote them. I don't know who answered, but uh, he, uh, anyways, they were kind of like, well, what, is this a joke, basically? And I'm like, no, I'm serious. So they came to the airport and they met me and, and my friend. We were there for vacation and then brought our gear and uh, they weren't sure if somebody was going to show up or if it was if, if it was real, but but it was, and it was it was fantastic. It was really uh, eye opener in a lot of ways, and you know, being part of the hockey community, which is quite small there, but very dedicated, uh, and it's so cool. Like whenever you meet hockey players, you know, if you're in, uh, I mean, they're they're both good and bad cultures uh, around hockey, but. One of the good things is that you always feel like you're at home and, and you have this connection immediately. And it doesn't matter where you are, what level it is. And yeah, it's kind of like a, a second family wherever you go. And I think that's so cool. And it was the same thing here. So um, yeah, we played for that one. And then I think we, we I went back home and then came back and stayed for like a month. And we, yeah, we did play the tournament and we did a, a bunch of things there. No, it was cool. It was, it was, um, it was fantastic, and I think now hockey is actually growing quite a lot. And now I, I speak with one, uh, one guy. I think he's, oh, I don't want to say anything stupid now. I think he's American, but right? now he might be Canadian, and uh, he's now building rinks actually. So that's what he does. He builds rinks in Asia, and now they're building two new rinks in uh, downtown Bangkok. So uh, yeah, my goal here is once this pandemic maybe slows down a little bit, it would be lovely to go there. And you know, I had one camp. Um, with one of my coaching friends, hockey camp, you know, for kids, we had that one of those. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's super, super nice. And uh, I want to keep doing that. And, you know, the last time they built a rink in Stockholm, I don't know. I don't know when that was. And now they're building more rinks in Thailand. So it's cool how you kind of, you go there and, and maybe bring some attention to the sport and some more kids start to play. And now it's like, it's moving. There's more and more kids start to play and they become better and better. And, you know, they come to Europe, some of them, and play, and some go to Canada and play junior hockey. And 
the only thing they need in Thailand now is for one of them to actually, you know, take the bigger step and succeed. And that's going to drag all the attention and really expand the sport even more. Uh, and of course, you know, it's a very expensive sport. So it's not the bottom layers in Thailand that play. They're, they're, they uh, usually have some good, uh, you know, solid uh, background and in income. So that might be the only only other thing. But I mean, that's true for Sweden now too, actually. So, hmm. Yeah, and, and you have also played hockey in Africa and I don't want to get into like the necessarily the why behind all that but a question I do have is regarding the kids and the young people who start playing and this can be applicable for the dads listening is what do you see in these places where you know the kids might not have had a sport before you come there's a bunch of fanfare you start playing hockey with these kids and they keep going they keep playing hockey have you checked in on any of the kids who you started playing with in Africa or in Thailand and have seen how they progressed? Like, is there something from nothing going to this team sport that, you know, dads should pay attention to? Like, should we, should everyone get their kid in team sports? What has your experience been with that? Uh, well, there's kind of, like I said, there's two different scenarios. I think in Thailand, it's, uh, they're, they're quite well off, you know, uh, and, uh, you still see the the passion. I think the the Thai culture is also a little bit. I don't want to say more Asian in that way, but it's high performing culture when you're in the upper layers. So you're supposed to perform and and you know be good. And I assume that's actually true for a lot of other cultures as well. It's not just in Thailand. I think of it the same in Sweden actually. But of course, some of the kids I met like when I go back now, I meet them, and now they're big and tall and skating faster than me. But uh, uh, it's good. It's fun to see the progression. Like I said, some some of them stay around longer, and others might do something else. You know, if they have good education and stuff like that. But it seems like uh, most of them keep track of hockey and kind of keep in there. And then in in Nairobi, obviously, it's uh, quite different because of the social um, social economic standard or what you say. I would say this, there's middle class kids there too. And then you have some that are from quite difficult circumstances. And one thing that was quite eye-opening for me there was uh, the dedication and the drive even though that there's no opportunity, maybe no opportunity at all to play in the NHL. And that's still something they dream about and keeps them up and they go there to the rink and they play hard. And it's just, you know, I think if I have, I, I said this, I think on Swedish TV as well, I see some, some Swedish kids that maybe have it a little bit too good almost. It, it's uh yeah, they do some some things and they, of course, come from some cir- circumstances where it's tougher. So, you know, we had these uh, these hard, these uh, plastic biscuits, you know, you've seen those you can play on the ground with. And I brought them. I didn't initially think we were going to use them because they use the, the ball when they play. And we started to use them and they go down and they block shots and they get no equipment on. Like if you get that on your knee, you break your knee and they don't even think about that. I don't think a Swedish kid would do that. <laughs> Like I never yeah, see exactly. them do that. So so it's just completely, I'm like, what is going on? And they're playing hard and like hitting each other. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, you guys got to take it easy here. Like I haven't skated in a long time. And and we were on rollerblades too, or like on inlines. So I'm like, this is going to be bad. But yeah, they play super hard. They're dedicated. And yeah, they just love the sport. So I don't know what the advice is. I mean, don't curl your kids too much. I don't know if that's the advice. but <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah, no, that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. There's like this yeah. meta idea of when you have it too easy, you stop doing hard things. And when you stop doing hard things, I think life gets harder, to be honest. And so when you have less and you're just like so pumped up about playing hockey in this case, but it could be literally anything in your life, your kids' lives, 
it becomes much better to have that struggle. And I see parents today who are just like, don't get hurt. Helicopter parents, don't let your kid have any struggle. And they wind up not taking, not taking the knee. They wind up not blocking shots. And I think as a metaphor for life, that's uh, kind of dangerous for a society. Yeah. Uh, I, I think especially now in Sweden, we have this idea that, that losing is bad. Uh, and I don't understand. I never understood that. Like in, in my, if I look at my career, uh, I've said this a lot before. I've lost everything you could imagine, uh, basically, uh, as a player, especially growing up in Sweden. I lost not World Juniors. I wasn't even in, but I lost uh, Swedish Championship both in juniors and in seniors. I lost uh, Olympic finals. Uh, I never played the World Championship finals, but we lost in the semifinals. I've lost more, way, way much more than I than, than I won, and. Uh, Winning is like this thing that kind of happens at times, you know, and you could be on a winning team for a longer amount of time, which I was in Chicago, for example. But I also had, you know, a lot of the other years when it wasn't like that. And there's some like idea about winning and knocking, getting picked for a certain team or not playing the position that you want to. And like, this is something bad, but it's not really bad. It's only bad at the moment, but in the long run, it's actually not bad for you. So how to overcome that becomes what actually is interesting and that struggle or it's not even a struggle it's just a development phase of you need to kind of pass through and uh, I've struggled a lot with that myself so it's not an easy thing because when you're in it it's like it's your life but I think if we have if we we you know look at it like you said more meta perspective then trying to get that away and always take that away from people and and kids it's not going to be a good idea because that's going to make them think that losing is is bad you know in that way for development at least but of course you want to you want to win otherwise you don't have to play so <laughs> you want to yeah, win yeah. You, you want to win and that's what you strive for but you also understand that most of the time you're not going to win you're going to lose a lot and if you can't handle that then uh that's going to be a problem uh, that's going to be quite difficult yeah, that's an, a great way to sort of segue into what I want to talk about next. And I don't want to belabor the point of professional hockey because obviously that's what you get asked all the time. But I have questions about operating within professional hockey, particularly as it relates to like high performance teams, um, habits and things like that, because I, I want this conversation to go in the direction of performance. So when I see professional athletes, I had a um, professional baseball player a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about all this kind of stuff and transition from pro sports into non-pro sports into whatever comes after. So I'd like to get there. But in this frame of performance, I'm wondering the sort of the first thing that comes to mind is like, what do you tell guys coming up who are in like a newly high performance environment? And this could be something that the men listening are like, okay, I can prepare my kids for this. Or maybe the dads listening are getting a new job and they just want to crush it. And so like, I know, or I think I know that you, you know, hang out with Oliver Shillington once in a while uh, of my Calgary Flames. Uh, he's doing amazing, by the way. What do you tell him as part of like this working as a high octane team? Do you have anything that comes up? Like you were on two Stanley Cup winners and there must be something about those teams that's different. How do you find your place in that without stepping on toes, but also making sure like you are performing your best? Team dynamics and environment, this is a difficult thing. If anybody can have a recipe how that works and figure that out, they'd be quite rich. But uh, <laughs> I mean, on the individual level, I think when, when anytime I kind of talk to to younger players and the, the, I say the same thing, it's like they kind of have to find their way, I feel. And 
how do you uh, yeah i don't know like how do you develop a good mentality to win then of course you want to you want to have to win more than the other things so if you're more interested in in the girls and the cars and the money and the, all the other stuff then then that becomes what you actually focus on and i don't mean that you can't focus on that like enjoy your life if you're playing the nhl you should enjoy it but if that's your main focus, then that will not be good in the long run, I believe, anyway, uh, if you want to succeed and win. And uh, I mean, Chicago, it was just like when I got there, it was quite fortunate. I felt I felt at home right away because I always have the feeling I, I, I love to compete and develop. And that was a quite open space for development where we... Uh, uh, had some individuals that uh, both in Taser and, and Duncan Keat, for example, but even, you know, Kaner now and Marian Hosa or Patrick Sharp, like uh, all these, those individuals, they wanted to be better and like looked at everything they could do to become better. And that environment for me was, uh, was quite, it was lifting me to another level also. So it was like the more, the more crazier thing you can come up with to make the team better, that was that was good. And uh, some other teams uh, I was on, there was kind of like, oh, why are you doing that? Nobody's doing that. So I'm like, okay, but you want to win or why are we here? So I don't know if the, yeah, the team cultures, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's very important and uh, it's a difficult thing to find a good match of that. And you got to be lucky too at times, you know, you have to get some what was good in Chicago, I think, for them that they won in 2010 and they got the experience of winning when they're quite young. And if you get that feeling in your body, I think that's one of the the things that would carry you for quite a long time. And then, of course, it's not going to be forever. Uh, you, all, a lot of teams have their kind of hot period for, for 10 years or so, and then it's kind of tough to stay on top, especially now. Uh, but that is one of the things that I'm, I think I, I appreciate most from, from being on a winning team. I have a sense of what that feels like internally. And when I speak to individuals, then there's a lot of things that are like conflicting. Like I said, that, uh, that comes in when you, especially when you, when you come to the NHL and uh, people start to view you differently. And uh, if you're not prepared and understand where you want to go with this then uh, you will be dragged in a bunch of different ways and yeah just you, you lose your focus i mean i lose i lost my focus i think for a couple of years for sure and um, i would say it was probably not until i got back to or get back to, i got to chicago then that i kind of recuperated that and uh, could use my potential so getting the feeling feeling of winning is uh or winning together you know is is worth uh uh, the sacrifice but if you don't know that and you think it's just about scoring goals then it becomes difficult i think mm, yeah and a couple of things that came up there is one this need for personal honesty that sounded like existed in chicago and may not have existed elsewhere like being able to tell yourself like yeah i suck at this or here's where we could do it better rather than just assuming like well yeah i'm i'm here like i'm the best already um and i want to ask like what was it about being lost for those two years that you mentioned before you got to Chicago, how did you get that back? Was it just that you were pushed again? Or like, did you have this moment where you like found your values? Because it sounds like that's super important when you get into a place where you're, you know, so-called winning, you could go for the money and the girls and the cars. But if your values are like, I just want to be excellent. Like, I want to win. I want to do this with other people. What did that look like for you to come back from being lost for a couple of years? Well, I think I, um, 
like most of this time I had in Atlanta when I was there, and uh, it was like a, the no man's land. You were dropped in the in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. I felt, but uh, it was a fun time on a personal level. We had a lot of fun on that team. It was wonderful, like teammates and everything was fantastic. And you know, actually, I, I liked it, but I always had a sense it was not me. And there were, I was kind of lost in that. And I think I, I pushed that actually to the side where if I would have engaged in the way I wanted, I would have been so frustrated and disappointed and like all of these things because things weren't moving the way I wanted them to move. And uh, that's some type of like per, per, perfectionistic, uh, you know, mindset or view. And I think I've always... I mean, I like development and I, I, I like winning. Like, uh, and I want, I'd rather be a bad player on a good team than the best player on the bad team. And that's just how I am. And uh, for me to be a part of something that's actually bigger than me with better players and better, like that, that is like, it's almost like I, I, I think I should be at the level where I can't be, you know, and that's where my, right. my, my limit is. And, uh, uh, yeah, if I if I can't be there, then it's like it's not worth for me to do it, and that's um, that's kind of a different mentality. I don't know, but I think some individuals have that. So there's there's a part of it that's a love for the game, but there's also a part of it of of development and you know have the ability to be you know on the ice with the best people and you know really challenge myself as much as I can. And uh, that uh, I think was difficult when I was uh, was was in Atlanta. And I, I got lost in that for sure. So, mm. yeah, I think the values are there, but sometimes they're clouded by a bunch of other things. And I'm just happy I got the opportunity there actually to go back or to go to Chicago where I just, I, I sensed it right away. Like right away when, when it happened, I, I was watching the, the trade deadline. And as soon as that happened, that trade, there was something in me that just said, okay, this is, you know, this is the chance or whatever you were looking for. And, uh, it worked out, it worked out well and I'm happy for that. So yeah, it worked out pretty well. <laughs> uh, the, the thing that I sort of took from that is like, especially the idea of wanting to be where you almost shouldn't be like wanting to be the worst house on a good street, basically, uh, surrounding yourself with the best where everyone else in the room could be smarter than you. Um, I think there's a lot of guys who do have that mentality, but there's a lot who don't, they want to be the smartest guy because of this ego. And I wonder like, how did ego play out in your experience? Cause I know some guys are huge egotistical and some guys are super humble. Um, but did you see, or did you experience in yourself anything where ego sort of got you in trouble? Oh yes. Every day. I still do every day. <laughs> <laughs> I still do every day. Uh, no, I think I'm a little bit more aware of it now, but it's, uh, it's difficult because it's kind of the thing that, that gets you there, but then sometimes it's not serving you with the way you want to. So it's difficult. I mean, in hockey in general, you're quite you're an individual and the world is like revolving around you and that's true for family friends like everything around you for every individual that are elite player play in the nhl the world kind of spins around them i think actually children might have saved me if i would have had that a little bit because then the world is not all about you so that would have probably been good for me at one point uh, to to have that and i hope still that will be the effect when i have children so yeah we're i think as as an athlete you kind of have to have that mentality a little bit and then of course start to look more at the ego and and uh, 
for me also realizing, even though I, I think I was always a kind of a quiet guy and never seen as unhumble in a way. Uh, I think I've, I've seen as a humble individual, but that doesn't mean that there's, um, you know, a scheming and planning and driving and all of these things that you kind of do for yourself anyway. And I played with uh, uh, Yiri Hudler when I was in Dallas, and he was actually funny. He's a guy, he talks a lot, a really interesting character. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, Johnny, just, just because you're quiet doesn't mean that you're nice. And actually, I love that that saying because it's so true. Because some individuals, I think, you could kind of you can hide and you can have your ego and you can be, but just because you're sitting there not saying anything, you can have the same thing conversation going on in your head, you know, and um, be able to look at that and kind of expose that, which I try to do a lot more now, actually, you know, in the in the business I do now, um, I'm more of in the leadership position and I I need to expose myself and that brings out some of those thoughts and uh, and understandings about myself, which is super, super interesting that I now understand how they actually were working for me when I played hockey. And now it becomes, you know, I can see it now. And uh, it's so, so interesting uh, when it's compared to leadership. And I, I'm sure, and that that's why uh, this, um, you know, this pod is perfect for that. I'm sure like all the fathers can, can attest to that too, that, uh, you know, your children are going to challenge you and show you certain things in you that you you thought that they were hidden somewhere and nobody can see them and they just poke right at them, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, or not looking forward to that, I don't know, but but I hope uh, maybe now I'm a little bit more prepared. It would have been a brute awakening for me, I think, uh, having children at 30 or 28 or 25 years old. Um, so, but yeah. Yeah, man, it was for me. <laughs> I think I was 23, just about 24, and uh, just shook my world, man. It was exactly what you're saying. Yeah. All of the shit that I had buried just came right back up. And uh, I was like a really bad dad for probably the first couple of years at least. And it actually motivated me to like change my entire life and to get to the bottom of my ego and my pain and like all of these things. And so actually having kids was exactly what you said, which is it just like motivates you to flip that switch. So yeah. uh, I think that's what we're trying to do here with dads is just like, let them know that children while challenging are actually our greatest teachers because yeah, they yeah, uncover sure. all the shit that we actually needs to work on. Um, what about like habits and mindset? Like, were you into breath work when you were in the NHL? Were you like emotionally intelligent? Were you talking to guys about this sort of thing? Or were you just sort of, like you said, quiet, ego, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think I was quite bad it's one of the things actually now that i realize now that if i would have had this tool and this understanding it would have been quite different for me and that's probably why i attached so much to it now also that i can see the value i see the value for it for me now and going through the things i'm going through now i i don't think i would have been able to do what i do if i if i don't uh, if i didn't do breath work in the way i do and and look at myself in this different aspects and ways and um so I bumped into it, you know, seven years ago or something like that. I stopped playing three years ago. So the last couple of years of my career, but I never, um, I never really understand how understood how to use it. Like I did the the Wim Hof breathing and like holding my breath, and I thought it was just, yeah, I did it because I wanted to see how long I could hold my breath, you know. So it's like that that is just so far away from anything what breath work is kind of. <laughs> Some of it is, but it's, there's a lot more than that. So. Um, 
And then also when it came to performance, there was not a lot of talk at all at that time. Like that that talk is starting now the last couple of three years, I would say, uh, regarding performance and how to optimize it and use your breath during and after. And it's just it's, it's a different playing field now, I feel. And of course, now I'm, I'm into this. So now I see it everywhere. But uh, I sense that it's uh, it's reaching into professional sports way more than uh, than before. And uh, I think in general, uh, players are becoming more conscious also um, about all these aspects. I mean, when we started in in Chicago, like thinking about food and worrying about food, nobody else was doing that. Basically, I felt and and then a couple of years later, you know, now I think it's quite different. Uh, where nutrition and recovery and all of these things are, are just different level, and I think the the mindful part and emotional regulation if you have the capacity to do that or learn how to do that some individuals can do it by themselves like they're like anything you know um but somebody have a mind it's the same thing like somebody has a drive in the mindset and some other ones might have to work on that and create certain containers for it and emotional stability is i mean for me it drove a lot of i think i emotionally was quite you know up and down I feel I'm way more stable now, even though I have reactions. But at that point, I didn't understand the reaction, actually what was happening. And I was trying to escape from feelings, which is, as you know, it's the worst thing you can do. So that that never escape from a feeling. You have to be with the feeling. Otherwise, it, it, it's useless. So just to understand these couple of steps, I think it would have helped tremendously for just me, for my well-being during during my playing time, instead of being, you know, frustrated or angry or like all of these things that just eating energy for no reason. And uh, I might might actually would have played longer if I would have done that. I think I would have enjoyed playing more. Now was it was all competition and and uh, you know winning basically, which I love also. So it's like it's both. But but there's a yeah, there's there's some type of maturity that I, I probably would have been able to reach before. I think so, yeah. Yeah, no, those, those are awesome points. I once asked a friend of mine, uh, Jason Gaddis, like, how do I be mindfully ambitious? Because it's what you're talking about, right? It's like you just want to win all the time. I always want to win. And I want to be okay with, like, not winning sometimes or, like, what I am like in this moment. And he's like, well, just be mindfully ambitious. And that's like, shit, that's way too easy. It's not the answer I was hoping for. I thought there was like a practice. But uh, what you said about this coming into professional sports now with nutrition and breath work and all that kind of stuff, there's a saying that a lot of guys in the tech space say, which is like, whatever the guys in Silicon Valley are doing right now, that's what everyone's going to be doing 10 years from now. So if you want to get a head start on business or investing, just look at what like the, you know, the guy who came up with Ethereum, what is he doing right now? Uh, And do that and get the head start. And it sounds like professional sports is the place to go for um, performance, longevity, you know, high octane movement and stuff like that. So we're talking about breath work. We're talking about now like, like cryo freezing and stuff like that. What else have you seen that's on like the cutting edge that pretty well only, uh, professional athletes are doing? Is there anything else like that? Oh, uh, there's a long list. Uh, I mean, some, some of them do, I wouldn't say that all of them do. Uh, there, there's like a, there's a mix here, which I think is interesting. So it's like a mix of some individuals that are highly driven like that. And then in general, in the sport, I think the sport still moves slowly, you know? So 
there's some individuals that are more driven and push this more than others. But I mean, everything, uh, the, the cold baiting, there's uh, infrasonas, there's, uh, you know, these uh, electromagnetic trainings and there's uh, vibration mattresses. There's, uh, yeah, all the aspects of nutrition, of course, now measuring, you know, measuring sleep is a big thing now. I think I see, now I even see regular people at the store here in Sweden with the aura ring, which is crazy. I don't know what's happening. And uh, so like it's eating itself into society, a lot of different places too. But yeah, I've seen a lot of things, but I see also the curve of that, like I said, initially it was kind of food and like the functional movement-ish kind of. And then uh, uh, it moved into more of the recovery stuff. So more of like, how can you actually get back and recover? And a lot of these modalities are still in place, like the biohacking things are, some of them stick and some of them kind of pass away, but most of them kind of stick. And uh, and then now I feel this next level, and that's kind of what I say to players too and younger players that everybody else is already doing all this stuff. Like it's very tough now to outwork or out be smarter when you work out than other individuals. Some coaches have the ability to do it, but mostly it's, it's quite dialed in mostly, I would say, especially in, in, you know, personal training for athletes, I would say. Uh, so there's a, a, bunch, a bunch of different styles, of course, but if you're a high performance coach and you get a high performing player, the only thing you have to do is not destroy them. But but other than that, it's like you, you already have the gold box or whatever. You have the golden egg, you know? So right. so they're probably going to develop in a certain amount anyways. It's not so much you actually maybe have to do. I don't know. And then, of course, getting them to not get injured, you know, and sustain for a long amount of time. That's, that's probably a good idea. But where, where was I going with that? I think the next step is... For you also, like we talked about here, if you can regulate emotions, if you can prepare yourself and get out of of emotions that are stuck with you, and and if if you have if you don't have that capability and capacity, and you then you can train it, and if you can do that, you will have, you know, way you'll be way better off. So why not train that? And that would sustain you for a longer amount of time. I'm uh, I wouldn't say 100% sure, but as as close to 100% I can be that that would be useful. And it's not like you have to dedicate your whole life. It's a part of warm ups or part of you know winding down or you know it's quite it's quite easy to do. And I, I love uh, you know mindfulness in many aspects. And even if you're doing if you if you if you like meditation, you can do that and do that. But I know it's quite difficult for a lot of individuals to do. So focusing on your breathing pattern is a lot of times easier. Yeah. Yeah, That's um, we're going to segue into breath in like just a minute, but I'm curious what role your father had on all of this growing up. Was he there in your life? Was he supportive? Did he push you? Was he more in the background? Like what did his relationship with you look like as you were sort of coming up and, and maybe even to this day? Yeah, I had no relationship at all with my father. He moved back mm-hmm. to Kenya when I was one, I think. And then uh, uh, he actually passed away in 93 or something like that. So no grown-up uh, conversation really either. So I would say I'm one of those. I'm unfortunate not to have the father figure. And uh, I'm fortunate not to have a bad one. That's usually mm-hmm. uh, that's usually how I see it. And yeah. uh, I had a grandfather that I had a uh, close uh, relationship with and I kind of saw as my father I think so maybe that's why I act like an old man because I was <laughs> like having that as my I never thought about that as I came up with that no that's actually maybe true that's interesting never thought about therapizing that. on the uh, dad work yeah, podcast yeah, exactly. you're welcome yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's actually funny but uh, yeah so um, 
Yeah, I think I think for a long time. Of course, I had my older brother. He passed away also, but uh, I I think I looked up to him a lot and like followed him. And he's the one who got me into playing hockey. And he always had that uh, the driving force of of just brute practicing all the time. And uh, yeah, I think he instilled a lot of that in in me as well. But but I was a long time. I it was it was for some time. I was kind of feeling. Uh, it's always the, the thinking of what if that would have been the way, you know. And and I think when you grow up, it's uh, if you don't have if you don't have that father figure or that individual, there's like a half of me which I'm kind of discovering now, which actually has a lot to do with my with my Kenyan heritage as well. That is now coming into my life more and more, and now I understand that part of me more and more. So it's, it's taking me longer, you know, because otherwise you might have that individual. And you have certain traits and things that happen. You think a certain way and you're like, where is this coming from? Like nobody around me is thinking like that. What, like why? <laughs> and then you hear, yeah, you, you, like, you, you can put the things together when you, you, in an easier way, I think, when, when you have uh, that person. Because I, I just look at all my friends and I look at their dad and I look at them and I'm like, you're like the same person, but you're older. Right. You know? <laughs> so uh, I think that connection takes a little bit longer if you're the, the dad is absent, even though there's no trauma related to it, which is not really in my case. So the self-discovery or whatever you development or whatever you would call might might be a little bit different. But I also, in, in some ways, I, I see a lot of, uh, you know, people around me, they're also uh, restricted by by their parents and and a lot of different ways and they're trying to break out of that you know even try to succeed their parents to be better you know that can be tough sometimes or live up to the parents standards or or anything and for me i always had like that there's nothing above me it was always like the sky is always there you know there's not there's nobody to tell me anything basically and i always had the sense of that or not accomplishment but there was never anything to it was like open, open field, open page, and sometimes I think I think that would be interesting also for some other individuals that I actually see around me that I feel they're they're kind of stuck because they can't surpass their parents, uh, which is uh, yeah, it could be difficult. But I don't know. That's uh, that's my situation anyway. So I don't know about others. Yeah, no, thank you for going there, man. And I know, especially when you haven't grown up with a father, being asked that question is sometimes like, oh, shit. Um, and so I really appreciate that you shared. And I think that, like you said, we all have uh, father wounds, whether they were here or not. And I would, like, just personally, I, I do think that it's, like, quite traumatic to be uh, left, to be abandoned, to be neglected. And so, yeah, man, I, I am glad that you seem at peace with it. And like you said, there's continually more work to be done. You know, what was your relationship with your grandfather like? And that does bring me now to breathwork, finally. Uh, right. Have you, this is sort of like the first question, we'll get into all the stuff you're doing these days. Yeah. But um, have you experienced things related to your father or related to your childhood in breathwork? Because depending on the style you do, and maybe I should have asked that first, but I'm not going to, um, I have experienced psychedelic-like situations in breath work, doing conscious connected breathing, um, you know, holotropic style breathing. Is that something that's come up? Have you done any sort of inner work or is it all focused on performance for you? No, I've done, uh, I've done both. That's, that's kind of when I started to deep dive in this after my career, that's kind of where I started. And that's why I felt also the, the biggest uh, upside for me was, uh, I mean, the performance side is interesting, but it kind of comes with both sides. It's like, if you don't understand yourself and what's going on and where you come from and the 
some of the behaviors maybe that's connected to the things you do, then um, I think performance is like kind of not secondary, but you can throw all the tools you want in on the on the table, but they're not going to be useful in the same way. So I think breathwork has the ability to kind of expose them a little bit more. And like I said, just be, and then on the other hand, just be, just because you expose them doesn't mean that they're they're gone. It's just that you know that they're maybe there, and then yeah. you're you know then the ego comes back and like oh okay that's okay, and uh, you're supposed to be like this and blah 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 all these things. So constantly have to work with that, but uh, at least now I. I haven't really, in the way you describe it, like meeting my my parents or meeting my father or whatever, I haven't had that. But for sure, some type of connection, like ancestral connection, I, I can feel that uh, way more. And like I said, more like developing who I am more. Yeah, I had so one of my friends are like, oh, yeah, so are you, I don't know, he said, he's like, are you so, yeah, you're like, you're searching or soul searching or like you're searching for something and for me, it's actually the opposite. It's actually taking away the blockades and becoming who you are. Uh, it's not that I'm looking for anything. And uh, I realized that a lot in meditations retreats as well. That there was when it comes down to the, you know, the the center or the core, that there's nothing really to look for. Uh, it's just there's nothing there to look for. And uh, I think that was quite quite revelating and, and freeing for me that. You know, there's nothing really that's wrong. It's just this is how life is in a way. And then you you kind of you look at things as they they come to you, and then the way you look at them is the way they're gonna impact you. So yeah, breathwork have the ability to do that as well. But uh, I would say I think actually because I started to do more of the the meditation work before actually I did the breathwork work. So or kind of in combination. But I had some of the the longer vipassana retreats before I started to go deeper into breathwork. So I think I, I opened up the space already. And then when I started to do more breathwork, I, I, I could connect more of the pieces, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. And that's a, that's such a good way to put it, man. I'm so glad you went there. It's almost like coming home to yourself. And that's what like all of this, you can call it spiritual, you can call it emotional, you can call it growth work, like whatever you want. But everything that I've done has been like continually stripping layers of the onion away, the social constructs, the wounding, the stories of my parents, all this kind of stuff has been like, oh, who am I really? And like you said, it's not like searching for something. It's just like taking all the shit away and then finding who you truly are. And did this help in your transition from hockey or like, were you doing this? Because when I talk to other professional athletes, it's like, oh my God, once I stopped being that, who was I? Like, I had no idea. Was this a problem for you? No, I think I have no problem transitioning. Uh, I don't know why that is. I, I Last three years, I don't think I've... Not one morning and I've been waking up and I felt that I want to go to the rink and play hockey. And that doesn't mean that I don't love hockey. It's just I don't have that feeling. Obviously, I think I was I was done. But I also have a feeling that I have more gratitude also and... and uh, I'm so happy for actually what I got out of my career that I don't want to be greedy and like, you know, claw myself in the, like staying around for forever. And that the people are like, okay, but it's time to go now. Like, you know, so <laughs> right. yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it, it just wasn't a thing for you then. You just sort of like hung up the skates, you're good to go. And then breathwork was just something after yeah. or on top of. No, it was in the transition. So it was in the transition. So I, I think it helped enormously in the transition. 
And just to kind of, after a long career, it's almost like a nervous system is like hyped up. I'm actually starting to feel some of it now, actually, when I'm going into business as well. So like in a year or two, I probably need to take another like longer break to like release some of these things that are building up, even though I'm trying to release them as we go, I think it's quite difficult to do. And there's something about that. It's almost like your body remembers that combat state or whatever you would call it. I'm not going to say it's combat because that's way more serious, but the the competition state, I would say, where, uh, you know, it's high arousal and you're always like driving yourself in a way. And uh once you come out of that and, and I started to do more of the breathing, uh, I felt the transition was just a lot of things just opening and becoming clear. And uh, I just have a fantastic sense of well-being for those three, four months that I was doing it almost every day. And that's the segue into what I do now. It's just apparent to me that if people can do this and they understand that they can do this, and I'm I'm quite sure they can have a quite good transition and, and not be in, in pain going into a career. As a player, I think you, you're actually fortunate in a lot of ways. Like you, in the middle of your life, you have the chance to actually change and do something else. Like Not a lot of people have the chance to do that. And you have the money, actually, to do whatever you want, which for me is like, it can't be any better. <laughs> you know, It's like <laughs> you, you got in the cake and now you get another cake. It's like now you have two cakes. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's crazy. So, so viewing it as like oh my god is that thing that's going to happen and now my life is over and what am i going to do i'm going to be lost and like i'm not necessarily sure that's true you know if you view it that way then yes but if you view it as an opportunity and something like whatever you like i don't know what that is maybe you like fishing well then go fishing like here you go it's fantastic so of course the some of the intensity and some of the certain situations would never appear again i'm never going to be in a game seven you know stanley cup final with whatever that's around that like that's probably never it's not never going to happen i think unless i become a coach but i don't think that uh, uh but also then going into business there's a lot of other situations for me now that in potentially in time could be similar you know depending on how much it grows and what happens and like you know it could it could be the same thing so it's not like it's completely off the table. And I don't know if you if if you want that challenge, then then it's fun. And like for me it's it's worth going for. It gives me a lot of value and uh I hope bring values to others. So yeah. All right. So let's talk about the type of breath work and like what your hope is for Hale Center and what you're bringing to the world. Like what is the type of breath work that you do? Why do you do it? Is there a regimen that you follow that you're getting guys on? What is the sort of ideal uh, breath work routine look like for you these days? Uh, so all my own routine, I try to mix, uh, you know, breath holding, I would say, trying to mix b- breath holding for uh, some CO2 tolerance with uh, um, some some deeper sessions or some shorter deeper sessions i would say uh i don't do that much uh, rebirthing style breathing sessions anymore i i used to do more now it's maybe every once in a while we have some sessions we have one session at that we call elixir that's kind of a mix um that we do some longer breathing session or bouts and then we do some breath holding but uh, that one I usually do, and I love that one. And uh, I think the overall philosophy for Hale is is not to be dogmatic about a specific style. 
what we try to do is actually the opposite. So we want to be a platform and a space for uh, all major breathing styles, basically. And we want to be able to deliver that to people and have people pick actually what they want, not because we tell them that they should breathe a certain way. And yeah, that's basically what the philosophy and what we go for. So we have a spectrum of, of different styles and different uh, breathing techniques and variations. And all, of course, then I do performance training with um, coaches and players and try to get them also to understand that it's not just some individuals have an idea that either you're only doing Wim Hof breathing is super hyperventilation, you're, you're like out in space and whatever. And then some other ones are think it's like meditation and you just why would i do breathing i breathe every day you know so mm-hmm. they don't understand the spectrum and and how you can implement it and the power the powerful tool it is that you always have with you that's what we're trying to educate people and try to do that now in, in sweden is uh, is super super uh, super fun to do yeah yeah amazing is this all in sweden or is it going to be online too we have online, yes. We also have online. We're also coming out with the app here in the uh, February or something like that. So that will be available as well. Uh, so we want to try to hit the online market, yeah, a little bit more as well. Cool. Oh, I like what you said, by the way, about like having this tool with you at all times. Uh, what is that performance work that you're doing? Like, what are the benefits of? You know, you you mentioned doing like the rebirth style, which is what I have done. And I've tried, you know, everything, Wim Hof and breath hold and all this kind of stuff. But I I love doing a semi-regular session just to like refresh the nervous system, as you said, of the sort of rebirthing style, the conscious connected breathing for like an hour or something. But can you give us like examples of I do this type of breathing for, you know, this amount of time, and then I can either perform better, I can squat more, I can have like calmer negotiations and business. Uh, Are there some like clear benefits from individual things? Or is it more of just like this holistic approach, where you just do it regularly, and you become just a better person? That's it's hard to get people motivated about that. But what is your take on it? Yeah. That's more than one question I was going to say, but uh, there's more than one answer. But it, it kind of it depends a little bit what the individuals are looking for. But we talk a lot about the Trojan horse, where you kind of you can come in for one thing, and then you will get all these other things, but you have no idea that you're going to get them. So like the well-being will come with that if you do some breathing sessions, of course, and the emotional regulation, all these things. And then when we talk specifically about performance. There's a lot of things in that, but of course, one thing that's a hot topic now, it's, you know, the CO2 tolerance work and uh, different ways of working with breath holding to higher that level. Uh, CO2 is what uh, kicks us into breathing, basically. And a lot of people think oxygen might be the most important thing. And uh, our system is actually overdeveloped for oxygen. You take in, you can, you don't, you need to take in very little oxygen to keep yourself going Whereas 80 or 90% of individuals overbreathe. There's also a behavioral factor into this where um, you might be, you know, on a stationary bike, for example, and uh, at some point you might go into overbreathing for a certain reason and you don't know why that is. And when you do, you lose, lose carbon dioxide. If you lose carbon dioxide, then you have a tougher time taking up oxygen. This you can test and we can do testing with this and you can train individuals to do this. This for me is a superpower. And I think I was actually an overbreather for a lot of my career. I always had a feeling I was out of breath, but it has nothing to do with my training. I trained more than most people and I still have the sense of that. So I think that's a part of performance that is uh, super relevant, super, super relevant. And it works for everybody. As soon as you go into a stressful state, you know, you're 
you're starting to breathe heavier, your pulse goes up. And uh, if you can't handle CO2 levels, then you got to get a signal to your brain that is panic. And you might overbreathe for a longer amount of time. If you overbreathe for a longer amount of time, then you're going to get fatigued and headaches and you're going to get all these kind of weird symptoms as well. You might get panic attacks from that as well. So it's it's super, super cool when it comes to learning how to use your breath and understanding how powerful it is. And uh, that works for, it doesn't matter if you're a pro athlete or a stay-at-home dad or whatever you are. Uh, I think uh, it works e- equally for everybody. So doing that and then in combination with these breathing, you know, these deeper breathing sessions that are more, yeah, spiritual or whatever you would call them, you know, the spirits in you basically. So understand that the power's in you and and seeing that, I think, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of things in performance. And for me, it's a, it's an unmatched tool basically. So. Yeah, that's saying something. <laughs> that's saying a lot. And I love that you said that it's applicable not just to like high performance on the stationary bike, because so many of us, you know, we start to get that heightened breathing and we become more in our heads. We become unable to stay calm and say the words we want, which is kind of what happens when you say something and then you think after the fact, oh, I wish I said something else. It's typically because you're not in that grounded space of the parasympathetic nervous system. You're like fight or flight. You're just totally out of it and simply learning how to breathe. Like you said, it's this tool that we've all got. It's like this sheathed sword that we just like, nobody even knows they have. And so I'm just, uh, yeah, man, this is why I do this work. And this is why I want to have you on. Just be like, look, guys, do something with your breath. Read, um, what is it called? Just Breathe by Dan Brule, I think it is. It's like the overarching breathwork book that's popular the last little while. Get a session like this podcast will probably come out in sort of mid to late January. And so you guys will probably have the app out soon. So yeah, check out like the Hale Center app, get something, find a breath worker. This is just, it's it's been life-changing for me. And it sounds like, I mean, it's unmatched for you, right? So yeah, I mean, is there anything else to close on with breath work? Like, I, I can't give it a higher go out and do this recommendation for people. But any any last thoughts on the breath? No, not really. I mean, be be playful and open. I would say, and then try it. I think a lot of uh, breath work is cool in that way. It attracts a lot of more men than maybe yoga. Uh, I think meditation is kind of both ways. Yeah, I think I think it's quite attractive for men actually, which I think is cool. And we we need something also, you know. It feels like the the women have the yoga, <laughs> not all of them, but but not all of it, but a lot of it. And uh, this is kind of a good mindfulness practice that is also kind of some activity, and you can go into the different states as you're saying, both slower and faster, and uh, you get to learn a lot about yourself. And I think it's just a great tool. So anybody that want to join online from you guys, then I would recommend that highly. So start start easy and then progress. I think you're going to like it. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Johnny, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time with me. Where can people find more about Hail Center and you if they want to follow you or connect or get a session, whether they're in Sweden or waiting for the app? Yes, uh, you can go to uh, the website hail.center, quite easy. So it's just hail.center. And there you have all the information about basically everything we do. So we have a lot of trainings. I do trainings obviously online now that's fo- possible to follow also. So I do performance training online uh, for those who are individuals that are interested in there, for coaches and players and yeah, all these other uh, individuals. And 
what else? Well, I have my Instagram as well. We have Hale's Instagram, Hale Center. Also, my Instagram, just my name, John Uduya. Yeah, talking about the hockey project too. I want to promote that a little bit as well. Uh, we're doing with uh, the brand there is called Atunia. And uh, that's the project we're doing. Uh, we have a street hockey tournament we're going to have in Stockholm, actually. Uh, in the summer and then we do a lot of work uh, with them so please check out atunia also atunia.com uh, or uh, atunia performance on instagram yeah just follow us and see what we're up to we we want to take a lot of uh, you know help different different type of we have a donation program we're setting up now too so anybody want to reach out and have some ideas or want to donate something or you know want to collaborate in any way we're we're super open to that so uh yeah that i think uh, sums it up <laughs> amazing i'll put the show notes in the yeah, uh, podcast you can find it at dad.work/pod if you're listening just go to your url browser dad.work/pod this episode will be on there and um man what's the uh how much would you bet that the flames are going to win the cup this year Oh wow! Oh yeah, I hope for Oliver. Uh, I I would love for him to win. Wins. I get the Stanley Cup back in Stockholm again. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you're not gonna put any money on it then. Oh, uh, I don't yeah. know. They're they're doing good. I don't want to jinx anything either. So I can't. I yeah, can't yeah. Do this. So we'll we'll keep Th- thank it. Thank uh, We'll keep it at that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, it's been a long time coming. All right, man. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. All right. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world. To find out more about everything that we talked about in the episode today, including show notes, resources, and links to subscribe, leave a review, work with us, go to dad.work slash pod. That's D-A-D dot W-O-R-K slash P-O-D. Type that into your browser, just like a normal URL, dad.work slash pod. You'll find everything there you need to become a better man, a better partner, and a better father. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.